Welcome back to Real Voices of the Game. I'm Dave D'Agostino, and I'm joined here by my co-host and star of this show, Sal Marinello. This is The Hot Corner with Coach Sal. Episode 278 on our network. Now, before we bring Sal in, just want to thank our almost 50,000 subscribers, 74 countries, and, and going strong, supporting us day in and day out with all of our podcasts. Uh, we appreciate the support you've given us, and we have been rewarded I want to give a special thanks for getting us on the iHeartRadio podcast stream. It's a big honor for all of our our hosts. Everybody works hard to provide you what you want to hear, but these shows are driven by you guys out there in our audience and very sophisticated audience. They love smart. So um, I think, Sal, you bring that every week here. I tell you, I get two new SAT words a week, and I've got to do extra homework before and after, just making sure I'm I'm on pace with you. So welcome back to your show. Thanks. That's the first time I've ever been accused of that, but I'll take it. Hey, I tell you, it's uh, I, I love uh, the angle of the show. I, I like the direction of it. And you're also doing some other other work on the side. You're calling some football games now, correct? Yeah, you know, I coached sports, you know, stri- uh, strictly like every year for over 30 years. And actually, the first team I coached, I was still in college. So when you add up that, it's a depressing number of over 40 years. And uh uh, after my youngest guys graduated high school, I took last year off and uh, this year I have the opportunity to do some color commentary on a local streaming service that broadcasts sports from uh, the, the local counties. And, and they actually go beyond just these two counties because they proved themselves to do such a great job that uh, schools outside of the, our two main counties here, Morris, which is a very popular, a populous county with real good sports and Sussex which is a little less populated, but nevertheless has good sports. So the local uh, or the area counties have asked them to start uh, doing broadcasts outside of that area. So for instance, this week I'm doing, I'm, I'm in Somerset County, but border both Essex Union and Middlesex County. So we're going to have a game uh, Thursday I'm doing for a new Providence, which is in uh, Union County, which is a town over. And uh, there's another couple of really good teams in Somerset County that are going to be on so it's it's a really great way to do the things I love about coaching, watch film, uh, see the different intricacies of, of how sport, how the, uh, the the teams run the sport, uh, which you kind of don't get in pro football, Dave. You know, football, pro football, you get pretty much a homogeneous kind of approach to offense. The defense has slight changes, but it's not such a big difference. College football, you get a little bit of that difference. High school football, you get the most variety you're going to get. So uh, tonight I'm doing a team that's kind of like a West Coast spread, one back, try to run some zone. They have a good quarterback who can run against a team that basically didn't throw the ball at all last week and and won a big game. So that's the great thing about high school football. Those are the things that I like watching when I I watch football. Right now, honestly, with baseball, I kind of turn the volume down. But when I'm watching football, you know, even when they have the Monday cast with the Mannings, I love to hear the football stuff. You know, the, the side stuff I could do without, but uh, I know there's a portion of it. That's got, it's nice to tell stories about the kids and the event. That's one guy's role, but I love to hear the meat and potatoes of, you know, they're running, you know, cover one, cover two, why they're doing it, uh, why they blitzed on that down, what the tendencies are of the offense versus defense. 
and maybe that's the the uh, former coach in me as well. But um, yeah, football is always interesting to that. Do you, do you have somebody who you're modeling yourself after? Uh, no, I just uh, like to express kind of what I see, you know, and, and it's, it's an extension of what I do in my day to day with my clients. Yeah, I'm pretty analytical. I, I try to give people the reason for what I do when I'm in the gym with them. And I like to get people to understand a little bit more about what's going on you know, in the game, at least from a coach's perspective. And I think a lot of people watch high school sports and they get so much emotion into it because mostly the spectators are people who have kids on the team, relatives yeah. on the field. And it kind of got uh, clouds your judgment. You know, you're used to watching these pro games and high school football is awesome, but it's not a pro or division one game. There's a lot of other things that are going on and it's just um, people need to kind of have, have some perspective. I try to offer that a little bit, uh, you know, as someone who coached, then coached, you know, my own kids and how to keep that distance and the objectivity that comes with being a coach and coaching your kids it helps me, I think, as uh, it helped me as a dad, obviously, and it, it, it'll definitely help me doing these games. And and the the play by play guys are all very young, aspiring broadcasters, so they're great. And uh, and uh, I learned from them, which is always a key to having fun and a key to growing is always learning and having fun while you're doing it. Yeah, I, I like. I'm getting the sense that you tell the why up there. That's why. That's why I like listening to guys like QB Brown in basketball, Jay Billis, those guys. Joe, the late Joe Morgan, used to always tell the why out there, and that's that's what I like to hear. I can see the game in front of me. Um, although, if you guys are streaming radio, you need to paint a picture as well. So that sounds like it's uh, it's going to be going to be a lot of fun for you. And it continues. Yeah, to be well, fun. it is all. It's all video. It's not. It's not just audio. It is a video feed. So oh, okay. they have. We have, like I said, high production values. They have replay. As a matter of fact, I was talking to the producer of our game last week. They were at a, a local high school, Mount Olive, that has a magnificent facility with the replays uh, with the jumbotron, and they were able to get the replays up on the screen for the people at the game. So it was really a. They, it, it's a very cool upscale and uh progressive uh, operation so it's very exciting to be part of it I, I think that makes it fun for the kids and families and i heard a stat the other day and i've got my own because we you know we again dealing with college coaching for so long and now stuff on the professional level and then recruiting that number of like five percent of kids that are playing currently are going to get an opportunity to play at the next level meaning high school to college that's a really small number and if you think about that as a high school coach or you know, you, you've done that at every level. You've been a coach at every level. But if you think about that from a high school situation, if that's a true number and high school coaches are aware of that or programs, then that means 95% of the kids that come through there are never going to, that's their last hurrah. And yeah. you, you, you really, I think the role of that, not that you want to be less disciplined, less demanding, but really making sure that that, that, that kid, boy, girl, whoever, whatever sport is having a great overall experience. And it sounds like your situation, you, you're adding a ton to it, not just with knowledge of what's going on, but that's, that's a nice thing to have. It kind of makes it feel like it's big time for the kids. Yeah. And, and they, they get excited and it, they did, they deserve to be recognized for the sacrifice they make. And the, the, this Morris County Sussex, I'm sorry, Morris Sussex sports broadcasts all sports. It's not just football. They do field oh, really? hockey, girls, soccer, boys, soccer, uh, in the, Obviously, they do basketball, wrestling. They do swimming. 
they do lacrosse. They have a big lacrosse presence. So they really bring it across the board, which is great. Nice. And of course, you get to do this every week, once a week. Hopefully, this gives you a little bit of, uh, get you some reps anyway. So you can yeah. be on your game when you're when you're live and on TV instead of us here we're pre-taped obviously and but we don't we don't uh, we don't do any type of editing really afterwards we just go as we we come as we are basically well I had, I got I had a couple of I know we're, we're gonna get less uh, off the political stuff today although it's impossible not to touch on it because it's all around us but um, wanted to throw a couple of topics at you I know you had a, you had a, a really good post out there this week you've got one that you've kind of foreshadowed for me I want you to touch on that but you sent me something and I read on it and it made me laugh out loud, which I don't do a lot. And it was almost like the reverse, you know, the doctors have to take the Hippocratic oath. And uh, there was nothing more hypocritical than what I saw in this article about hospitals and their partners. And I don't want to spoil the the punchline here, but I'll let you share the uh, the partnerships that this uh, particular, a lot of hospitals are sharing with the bev- food and beverage industry. Well, they, they're just talking about how it was uh, the one that uh, stuck in my mind. I have a, a mental block about the other uh, big food company was it's Coca-Cola. They're, you know, they're, they're partnering with, they're not just, you know, it's, it's one thing if you have it in the vending machine, I'm not a, a ridiculous, uh, I'm not a ridiculous Nazi uh, in as regard with regard to, you can't have a soda. You can't have soda in a vending machine in a hospital. That's not it. They're actually part, partnering with Pepsi and Coke and McDonald's to work with them. That's, that's just ridiculous. It, 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 the fact that you have to even point it out is ridiculous. Is ridiculous. It, we're, we're just at the point of uh, everything is absurd. I, I, sometimes you can't differentiate between what is parody and what is actually going on. And that's one of those cases. And, you, you see this all the time. There was another post I saw about the foods that are being recommended for diabetics, type 2 diabetics, and it was massively produced carbohydrates, not just pasta and wheat, bread, and the normal culprits or the normal substances, but stuff that's just not right, like grains and cereal and <clears throat> sorry, <clears throat> excuse me, and other fast food items and, and pro- processed items and granolas. It's just it's just really troubling. It's really troubling. Well, that made me think of another article you sent about, I think it was a gentleman with a heart condition and they they recommended seven servings of bread. I, I yeah, that, that's kind of tied in. You know, Dave, you read these stories and they start to blend together. Yeah, but yeah they're, they're talking about just, well, look at the food pyramid, the food pyramid or the food plate, whatever they're calling it now it's all the same garbage and it goes to this concept and they we've spoken about this that everything is quote captured the pharmaceutical industry has captured the media because they are the by far biggest advertiser again we talked about this on several shows watch a streaming service uh, i've i had on paramount plus regularly i watch a couple i'm a old soul and watch a lot of these old sh- old shows from my childhood that still have commercials. Every commercial, Dave, is a pharmaceutical company product. Every one. There's a prescription drug for every commercial break. So if you watch a 50-minute show, there's maybe three short breaks. You get three long-form pharmaceutical uh, commercials. In the hospital example, you have now 
corporate food, big food, whatever you want to call it, fast food has now captured the hospital and the health industry. Because if you're partnering with those organizations or those companies, how are you then going to work against them, which you kind of have to do if you're trying to get people to eat healthy? McDonald's, I'm not the the target of McDonald's. You're not the target of McDonald's. I could tell you, my kids, I don't think if they've been to McDonald's once in their life between the three of them, that would be a lot. I think they've gone. I have never been. we, We drove by McDonald's the other day on the way home from one of our baseball events with the boys coming home from Charlotte. And they was like, yeah, you know, we're getting kind of hungry. I said, okay, do you want to, I said, there's McDonald's, Arby's, Burger King. And they kind of laughed. They know what they are. But like, we've never eaten there. And I was like, all right, I'm not going to tear your stomachs up on a three hour driver. Yeah. But they've none of, none of the four kids. Actually, our daughter did one time on the way from a soccer trip. We were with another family. We wanted McDonald's. I didn't grab anything. And she asked for a salad and they didn't have any that day. So she didn't even know what the order. So we just kind of passed on it. But yeah, uh, so, the, so the, the people that were not the market, but the market, the, the healthcare professionals that they're trying to help the people who have type two diabetes, who have, you know, the syndrome, which is really just eating poorly and being lazy. And you could, you could tell me again, look at the articles now about obesity. You don't see the wording X amount of people or X percentage of the population are obese. They now have obesity. And you might think, oh, well, what that's a, a major distinction because they've set that up to be those people are now going to be recipients of all these prescription drugs. And they're just looking to milk people out of every penny they can in that regard instead of trying to get them to eat healthy. You could, again, say we're being conspiracy theorists or we're wearing our, our tinfoil hat. But all the advice that we've been getting now, and when you put all the pieces together for over 50 years, are all have all conspired to make people fatter and less healthy and more dependent on drugs. And the same people, again, we've talked about this, the same people are now saying, oh, now we have the solution. Well, their solutions for the last 50 years have led to the problems that we're now asking, or some people are asking them to fix now. And it's it's really ridiculous. And it's a, it's a, it's a shame Dave, because we've talked about this. I hate to be defeatist, but I don't think we're going to get back to where we need to be at this point. We're past the point of no return. Well, there's no money to be made if people are healthy. That's the yeah the whole idea. They, they, if they ever reversed the model, there'd be a revolt where they said, if you can get people healthy, that's where you're going to make your money. There would be a lot of a lot of uh, medical situations that would go out of business because they make their money when there's when there's emergencies and there's dire need and that's uh, again it's it's kind of like right in the face of patients. You think you would pay attention to that when you see all the foods that are bad for you sitting right in front of you in abundance in the place that's supposed to make you healthy. But uh, and, and again, you're being told that the the foods that sustain civilization for thousands and thousands of years are now the problem of the ecology and of our biology. So it's just, it's ridiculous. Again, it's, it, well, again, we've tried not to be political, but again, they're trying to get you to disbelieve everything you've been taught and people were taught as being fundamental, like with the vaccines and with the virus and how you're supposed to really get immunity from future illnesses is to actually get the virus itself. And then you, fortify yourself as a result of that immune system response. 
everyone's been told, forget about it. Don't worry about the, the Oxycontin. I know it's a hundred times stronger than the opioids that you were used to, but these are different. Well, that was a lie. Don't eat fat. That's going to give you heart disease. That's going to raise your cholesterol. That was a lie. And on down the line, up until the last three years, all of that stuff that we've been told has been a lie and is provably so. And yet people are still walking around promoting that uh, incorrect line, that line that's been uh, that that has not helped anybody. What about the, the recent thing we've seen out there that protein is now bad for us? Well, again, that's just a transparent attempt to set us up into this next phase where meat's going to be tougher to get. They're going to have this fake lab-grown meat. They've already started to take steps to buy up. You know, farmland has been bought up from the local farmer. The I, I believe we were told that the toxicity of our urine and wastes from eating high protein is a bigger threat to the planet. That's a, that's the new one. So again, you just you just have to see where they go, and you know you you can now see how transparent they are with their real agenda. Because there's there's no other way around it. Protein is what makes people thrive and healthy. Protein and fat. Yep. And we we've chatted about this in a baseball sense on one of our other shows today with uh, a day at the yard, common sense pitching with Wiley and Will. Mark Wiley got into his definition of gaslighting. I shared what I thought woke was, and it's exactly what you're describing right here, com- combined with it, where you know they will they will uh, attack and denounce something until they control it, basically, and that's what they're doing. That's what's going on with protein and and fat. So, um, well, I, I know you've got a you had a workout you posted this week, uh, and again we're audio, but. Uh, something you were very high on. Can you, can you get into that a little bit for our audience? I think that takes us from, you know, they, they've got to fuel their bodies the right way and, and be cognizant and be their own self-teachers here. But you, you've got some practical things you posted about this week that I think could help some well, people. Well, yeah, when I, I had kind of taken a hiatus and I meant to get uh, a part two to this one post I first made coming back at the end of the summer. And my concept was you needed to take time off. You need to take Weeks where you may be still working out, but you're working out at a percentage of your normal. You know, not everything, especially the older you get, not everything has to be at breakneck speed. The CrossFit mentality that, you know, everything has to be balls to the wall and till you're ready to drop dead. That That's great if you're 24 and it's great for a short period of time, but that's not sustainable. That's why you see people of all, all philosophies that work out too often, too hard with braces and back problems and hip problems and so on. So in addition to that, I think people who really go hard, and I, and, and I know you really do that too, especially when you're training for your ultra, you need to take a day where you do a recovery and basically, I don't, well, the word rehab, uh, prehab is, is, kind of dumb it really there's no such thing don't don't think of that word prehab you're not what does that mean it's 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 a silly term it's not really preventative because you really can't be guaranteed to prevent anything i like to think of it as maintenance and what i have found especially with my high level athletes when i try to get them to do things like the trigger point work with the field hockey ball that i have posted on instagram a while back where, for instance, 
most people don't realize they have very tight gluteal muscles. They have a knot somewhere in their glute, mu their glute muscle group that is affecting how they move in some way. And people will tell me that they, they don't feel like they're tight there. And then I have them lay on the floor and put either a field hockey ball or lacrosse ball under their glute on one side until they find it. And then all of a sudden, it's as if someone stabbed them with the hot poker. They're like, oh, my gosh, I didn't know I had that there. So there's a whole routine I have with that. I don't do a lot of foam rolling. I do some foam rolling. I do some maintenance work. But what I found is when I have my athletes and they're, they're trying to get their workout in, their mindset is such that they're not going to be in this lower state, this lower gear and the, of the state of mind to work on something that's a little more mindful and that you have to be deliberate with. They want to get warmed up quickly and get into the workout. And then when they're done, they want to be done. They want to have a three-minute, five-minute cool down, something effective, and then go on and go about the rest of their business. And, and I can't say I blame them. So what I've been a big fan of is taking, say, I've given a person, a player, whether it's a, 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 my recreational client or my, at my professional athlete client or my college athlete client, I give them this work to do at night. And I always say, I like to do it 10, 10, 30. I'm finished doing whatever I had to do with the day. I'm, I'm watching a TV show to unwind. You know, I used to be able to watch baseball until 10, 10, 30, but because of the rules changes, those games are now over real early. So that's not on. But I get that on the floor. I have the field hockey ball. I have another couple of devices I use that help. And that is the type of activity that people need to do that's going to make not only their workouts better, but it's just going to make them feel better across the board. And I'm going to start promoting that a little more. Like I said, that's going to be my next post. Go up. It'll be up on um, Instagram tomorrow. And again, just pointing out that you need to have this day that your all your workout is some days should be that 35 to 40 minute mindfulness. My calves are tight. My hips are tight. My groin has been tight. My low back has been tight and have an effective program. To, to get at that. And my point now is not to talk about what an effective program is per se, but my, my point is if it's a 30 to 35 to 45 minute program, sometimes that should be all you do for that given day. And then maybe you could do a couple of nights a week for half of that time and, and spend the same time on uh, spend, do the same thing, spending half time on that, half the time on that. I, I think it's important. You know, I'm, we, we share ages on the show. I'm 50. And I honestly do very little running, surprisingly, in training for the ultras because my body can only take so much of that pounding, the knees, the, the terrain, all that stuff. And I'll do it and I'll test where I'm sore weak. And then those are the things like you mentioned, I'll work mobility. I'll, I'll roll out as you, I think that's what you're describing, right? With the lacrosse balls and I'll roll my feet out. Um, I'll roll anywhere that's sore and stiff. And then I'll do some light lifting based on where I feel like I'm weak and I need to get stronger. But it's, it's more of a, and it changes uh, event to event, year to year, month to month, because it's about having an awareness of where your body is at a certain time, not just in your life, but it could be in a certain time of the week, a month. And uh, I like the way you're describing it because it's, that's what it's all about when you're training. It's not a cookie cutter approach. It's not, you know, balls to the wall every day. It's, uh, you know, having awareness of who you are, what you're trying to get done. And honestly, Sal, I, I've shared this with you and I, I laugh every, every time I send you an Instagram post, I was like, man, Sal just, I, I'll send you one. I was like, ah, right, maybe this one. 
And I joke, and my wife's like, oh, to my wife said, Al, Sal ruined, ruined shit again for me today. I thought I had one on him. <laughs> but um, I used to be the type of athlete, and I was always a coach too, probably why I burned out. Um, it didn't, didn't last as long as maybe as I shouldn't either. But I would go to the end of the day, and my, my mentality was, and I do not recommend this, that at the end of the day, any energy left in my body is lost forever, and I can't regain it. So I would go all out every day, all day. And that is not a good way to work. I don't think it's not a smart I way agree. to work. So, um, you can't sustain it. I'm living proof of that, both as an athlete and a coach. And um, and I just I, I caution people on that. Um, and if you can do it, God bless you. Go do it. Um, well, but, but then you know what? That's why I say even I don't want someone to to spend too much time doing these maintenance things because I have to tell you, there's a there's a, a good series of exercise I do. And, and no matter really when you when, once you've looked at these diagnostic systems that we use to try to determine what someone's strengths and weaknesses are, whether it's their ankle range of motion, whether it's their lumbar mobility, whether it's their cervical mobility, whatever, the buckets of that people fall into as what are the reasons for these Dysfunctions sounds like a heavy word, but it's whatever the reason is, let's use that. Whatever the dysfunction is can be basically categorized in a couple of different ways. And there are some very simple approaches. And again, this is not, I don't want to get into the minutia of what exercises you're doing because it's too visual and it would just serve to confuse. But the point I'm making here is say we had, let's make it a simple, a simple thing, even more simple than it, it is. But Say we had three major reasons we found that people had these dysfunctions and you had remedies that resulted that would result in them improving in those areas. Well, for 35 years, I've been doing this. So my feeling is I don't need to spend two hours, an hour and a half necessarily trying to diagnose what it is that ails you. I'm just going to build in those three approaches and build that in over time in my program and a little bit at a time every workout because I know it's going to further you in an area that everybody needs to work on, whether or not you have a problem with it, you're going to still need to do these things to make sure it doesn't become a problem. And that's what happens with a lot of people. They're like, oh, and I, I know it myself as I got older. Oh, I've never had tight calves. I've never had tight traps. I've never had tight hamstrings or whatever. Well, inevitably over time, those things can crop up. And if you're if you're never doing things to kind of make sure those things don't become an issue, then at some point there are going to become an issue. So my feeling is a little bit of that preventative, a little bit of that restorative, a little bit of that recovery work always placed in your sessions and in your routine is going to just serve you well. So like I said, I assume people are going to have bad ankle range. So I do a lot of single leg work with people because if they do have bad ankle range of motion, it's going to address it. And in my mobility program, I'm going to give them the mobility exercises to improve it. If they don't have a mobility issue, it's still going to help them because it's going to make sure that due to the rigors of whatever it is, their sport, their recreational activity, that it doesn't become a problem. So I don't wait until there's a problem to say we're doing shoulder or cervical spine or thoracic spine or whatever the flexion extension exercises are. We're just always going to work those in because you're always going to need to do. I like it. And, and since the day we met, one of the very first things you talked about was poor ankle mobility on people. And I was kind of reevaluating 
not just my former college and pro sports career, but my, my recent stuff with the ultras and notice the damage that it does on your feet and ankles if you are not super mobile. And I've been doing an exercise as of late. I, I, I found it somewhere. I should I should have sent that one to you. It would have given me a positive thumbs up on it. But uh, it's, it was it's, it was termed touchdown toe. And I've got a tennis ball on the floor. And I've got, if I'm using my right foot, the side of my right foot, the big toe side is flat to the ground. So my, my ankle's really flexed. And then I have to rotate it over the top of the ball to the point where my the pinky side of my right foot is touching on the other side of the ball. And it's, uh, it, it's, it's almost like, if you could, I feel like the tin man getting squirted with that oil. When I do that, I do that every morning, rolling my foot out on a golf ball. Uh, those are some staples, but I guess the question I have is, can you overdo mobility? Can you, you know, can sure. somebody do that too much? You could, uh, there's, you know, the, the reason there's a say a phrase, there's too much of a good thing. It, it's because it's, it's totally appropriate that, that that phrase is being used because you can overdo things. I have people that get, you know, the, the great example of that is the tight hamstring. People think it's their hamstring, so they they stretch the, the heck out of their hamstring or they have a tight calf. I, I can't tell you, and I don't want to name names, but I can't tell you how many times there were stories about this major NBA star had calf problems, and I knew through people that knew what he was doing, they said they foam rolled his calves so much to the point that the muscle was so broken down that he wound up getting a Achilles tear. And the people I know who are smarter than me, who were my go-tos for high-level stuff, said that's one of the problems about these rollers and the, this calf injury that people treat as it's the calf that's the problem. The calf injury is a symptom. We've talked about this, Dave. When I get a kid or an athlete that doesn't otherwise have a contact sport environment doesn't operate in a contact sport environment that has a knee problem the knee is is a symptom all of these baseball players that come down and basketball players that come down with calf injuries there it's not the calf that's that you need to look at the calf is the symptom it's as if you had a worn tire and you just replaced the fright run tire is always worn. So you just replace that fright run tire, right front tire. Can't figure out why that one. Oh, well, there's a reason that right tire is wearing out. It's not the tires fault. There's something else in the automobile that's, uh, that's resulting in that wear and tear. Same thing with the calf and the knee. In most of these cases, shoulder well, look at the, look at the migration over time of the injuries that pitchers have had. It went from, you know, when did you ever hear elbow? Uh, obviously that was part of it, but it was the big bugaboo was rotator cuff, rotator cuff, rotator cuff. Now you rarely hear that. Now you're, the even if it's a, a strained lat, it inevitably becomes the elbow. It never becomes, rarely in these injuries do you hear of a guy tearing the rotator cuff anymore. So, that's all, in my opinion, that's due to the, the changing of training and the training being crappy across the board for baseball players, as most athletes, and in the uh, obsession with chasing velocity. So you have the, the kind of perfect storm there. So uh, so there's my, there's my long speech on that. Yeah, the, the numbers today, I know we try to stay up to date on the baseball numbers kind of on that point. As of today, 119,000 missed games this year. 
at the tune of $360 million. How about that? Well, I think I sent you guys that stat about Stanton over the time of, of his career with the Yankees, how much it was, you know, tens and tens of millions of dollars of missed time. I, I believe he's pretty close to, I think he's, was it 40% of the time he's been with the Yankees he's missed? It's oh, some it's been, crazy number. I would say it's close to that number. He Now, he just hit his 400th homer the other day, and I was surprised that he had 400, and, and Judge hit his 250, and they said, Judge is this the fastest ever to 250. And I was thinking like, wow, imagine if he played every day, uh, both guys. And st- yeah, Stanton, and someone asked me, and I didn't have an answer for it. They said, if Stanton, they asked me now, is he a Hall of Famer at 400? I'm thinking, I can't imagine so, but... What if he hits 100 more homers and he goes 500? Is his Stanton a Hall of Famer? Uh, I think I think certain numbers have to be leveled down for Hall of Fame consideration as far as pitching goes. I think certain numbers as far as hitting should be leveled up as far as a Hall of Fame lock goes because we've, had, again, had these, these conversations on text about – the lack of durability of pitchers, and we talked about it on the show, DeGrom versus these truly dominant pitchers. I don't think 500 homers is uh, indicative of anything other than the guy swung hard, you know, I, I don't, and, and is, and played long enough to get that, to get that number. I mean, yeah, he hasn't, you know, he hasn't, I mean, when you look at his numbers, it's, it's, I mean, he hit 59 in 2017. And then he, you know, he played, you know, he played a full season the next year. And then he hasn't played, you know, he's played probably two seasons worth of games in four. You know, he probably has missed almost half, more than half because in, in 2018, he had 18 games. In 2020, he played in 23. <clears throat> so right there, that's, you know, 40 games in, in two years. So take a look at his body. I mean, he's built like a bodybuilder. And I wonder at any point in time, somebody around him offers a change in workout regimen. Maybe it's, maybe it's too late for him, but at least young kids watching, take a look at the people that stay healthy and the ones that don't and try to emulate the ones that are and stay away from those that, that uh, are constantly. Here's the problem. Here's the problem. These young athletes are so great. They're such great athletes and they can do so much. And because they're also, also because they're young, their bodies are resilient. And we, we have a saying, me and my buddy, young bodies are really good at cheating. And a guy like Stanton, let's use him as an example. A guy like Stanton has this unbelievable natural talent and hit to baseball and can do all these things. And his body has the mechanics to allow him to hit like he does, but he's working against himself. He's working against himself with his training. And as he gets older and as he has all these injuries that take a little bit away from him every time he gets injured, by the time he's in his low th- or early 30s, he's lost the ability to be able to hit the ball like he did, and he, but he still continues to train like he trains. And if you watch him, he looks like every time he swings hard, he's going to rip something because his oh. – yeah, he doesn't have the mobility to even finish the swing. It's almost like a caveman. Yeah, it looks painful. And if you look at his batting average, his batting average has, has kind of gone on a downward slope. He had a decent year, he had, you know, 273 a few years ago, but he's down in the low 200s the last two seasons. I mean, that's – is it with all these analytics guys, you're really going to tell me that the fact that he hit 
31 home runs, but is hitting 200 is, is it really, is he that productive? I, I don't, I, I, it, it's, it's hard to believe. And, and his, his strikeouts are where they've been. He actually, he hit, he, he struck out a lot early in his career. That's the one consistency he's had in his statistical output. Yeah. He's always been a, a swing and miss guy. I, my favorite analytics stat, I'm going to see if this can catch on batting average on balls, not put in play. What do you think of that one? It's uh, going to be be zero, right? I guess or a thousand. No, it's, yeah, batting average every time you don't put it in play, you, you don't get a hit. That's true. So, but uh, sorry, start to digress there. No, no. But so if you look at, oh, say, so if you look at his output and they they average it. So if you look at his output averaged over a 162 game schedule, he averages 43 home runs and 109 RBIs with a 260 batting average. So that that RBI home run number sounds great. The average is a little lacking, but I don't know. I, I, to me, that's not a Hall of Fame guy. Is, he, is anyone really afraid of him? No, I mean, he's a, he's a number five hitter in a lineup with Glaber Torres hitting four, the second baseman, who is actually hitting really well right now, finally. For and, a team uh, that has what, what, is basically a 500 team? They just crept over 500. These young guys are starting to play well. It's it's been I, I have not said you guys we talk about it amongst each of the shows and then privately. I haven't watched a lot of baseball this year. And then but this young Yankee team, I, I've watched probably I think since Dominguez came up because I was just intrigued by him. Um, they call him the Martian there because he's from he's out of this world. They say that's the way the nickname goes. But switch hitting center fielder, sitting close, hitting 300 right now. Had three homers already. Plays a nice center field, but these young guys are energetic. They're stealing bases. They're moving a the ball around the field. How long they can keep it up, I don't know. Um, they got beat last night by Detroit, but they've been winning. And they look, you know, it's funny. I want to see these guys four years from now because they look like young, sleek athletes. Um, they're not over muscle bound. They they they're fielding the balls or throwing the balls or putting it in play. I want to see, and even the kid Volpe, who's been up, who we talked about, I, he looks like he was. Takes obviously it takes time to get used to it, but he went from a gap hitter to a wanting want to be home run hitter, and he got his twenty homers this year. And um, but he's hitting two twelve. Yeah, he looks like he's he's hit low two hundreds. So I, I I don't know. I'm not I, the 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 concept of the baseball analytics is such a turnoff to me because it's the old adage about statistics are like an easy woman; you could get them to do whatever you want them to do or say whatever you want them to say. Whereas in some other sports, the bottom line is if your shooting percentage from the field in basketball is 30%, you stink. If your shooting percentage from three-point is 40-something percent, it's, it's you're great and everyone's going to want you. And at, no analytic is going to turn you away from that. However, yeah. you, have, you have baseball guys telling you strikeouts don't matter, sacrifices don't matter, and there's some other things that I always found to be fundamental to the game. Again, maybe I'm just – not up on things that they're telling us is not important. To me, it makes no sense. Yards per carry in football is still important. Yards per completion in football still matters. Those things matter even more than the total number some of these guys achieve because of the way the sport is played. Uh, I think analytics is better in some regards in football because the the, uh, the results are obvious. Yeah, that's across all sports and, you know, it- a lot like we talked about today with whether it was nutrition, workouts, now baseball. 
the the group in this sense I'm talking about the analytics group they will denounce it with all sorts of vigor until they control it and that's the motive now now they did that with baseball enough to where they control it so they can say measure do whatever they want and then just push people aside that challenge that and that's it's kind of where we're at with the game and I do believe the pendulum is going to swing back I think there's enough noise out there it's funny how the world and baseball kind of go hand in hand um, where it's becoming so obviously um, just awful now, to the point where I, I made this comment the other day on one of the shows where maybe with Jim Cott, it's almost like they're intentionally trying to get us to hate baseball and doing a hell of a job. Hell yeah. of a job. Yeah. Well, yes. And, it, and because they've done a good job with these rule changes to make the games move. But again, the other issues that are fundamental to how the game is played haven't improved. Yeah. I was watching, I, I mean, Kevin has talked about this for 20 years. Watch a game and watch the cut the cutoff throws and where the where the infielder positions himself to kind of give the outfielder the best shot to throw. Watch how bad the throws are when they do hit the cutoff man. Watch how bad the second cutoff is. How many times do you see throws? It, it looks like it's unf- you know, you don't want to tar and feather the little kids because they actually do it better sometimes, but it's like a bad little league game sometimes. Yeah, it's it's and the rule of thumb and those are we, we work this in our outfield practices, and uh, Bob Schaefer promotes this a ton on his. But outfielders should be throwing one hoppers to the base, and then the infielder, when they position themselves, should be positioned in and around that one hop. That way there's always a threat to cut it. And the, the biggest key to it, which I, is this is a point I see in the major league games, the outfielders are waiting for the cutoff men to get there when they should not. They should be coming up and throwing to whatever base is designated with that one hopper there. At the very least, they're going to throw a really good one hop, handleable throw to whatever base they're throwing to it. But, um, hey, what, what do you think? Uh, I know we're, we're coming close on time, but we're on absurdities of baseball. I, I hate over-legislation in the game. I can't stand it. I'm not a big fan of any of the rule changes. Um, it may, may be the shift a little bit because it's brought the second baseman back into play, although I would have liked to have seen the hitters force that action. But uh, I saw the other day, Kevin wrote an article about it. I reposted something on Facebook and Instagram with an infielder throwing what looked like a beer league softball pitch to Ronald Acuna. And I just said, embarrassing look for baseball. I would love to see it legislated, one, because we're at 40-man rosters right now, plus. I mean, they're big. There's no reason for it. There's enough. There's 16 pitchers on staffs. I would love to see a fine be levied for a team that uses a position player and Whatever analytics guy in the front office determined that it was not plausible to use a pitcher, he has to come down and, and pitch that inning. <laughs> no L screen. Well, I, I, I so I, I have an idea. I've said this to you guys, and I, I've said it to you off air. Otani is obviously a, a gem and a gifted player, and we won't even talk about how he's not immune to the torn UCL because he's going to have the surgery again. But to your point about a position player having to pitch, I can't think of one good reason with the overall rise in athleticism. I know we've talked about they're better athletes, not necessarily baseball players, but in the population, better athleticism, more baseball being played that we don't have any pitchers who are serviceable as hitters. To me, it's, Probably one of the most surprising things when you actually think about it, and I really haven't heard this talked about. I'm not saying I have a great mind for it, but I think it's a totally interesting idea why there aren't more pitchers who are serviceable 
hitters so that in a pinch they could hit. They could be useful to the team aside from just pitching. Yeah, I, I, I didn't like the – I didn't like when they went universal DH because I like the pitcher hitting. I like the strategy behind it. And, uh, you know, I, I, I agree as well. These these guys are very good athletes. And we it's you see it at the young younger levels. I have two kids on our team. We're, we're 16 and under. I've got, you know, some kids as young as my, my son Tanner, who's an eighth grader, who play. But I've had kids that say I've been a – they call it a PO. I've been a PO for three years. That means pitcher only. So these are kids that are 16, have been doing nothing but just pitching, never hitting from 13 on. And I'm just like, why would you play? I mean, at that age, I agree with you. I think that, and I think a lot of pitchers would tell you too. Maybe not. Maybe they're saying they don't want any part of it, but um, I think everybody would want to hit. Especially if you're well, pitching, you get a chance to do your do your own damage. Well, and I, I, I don't want pitchers hitting in the major leagues because the reality is pitchers can't hit. So you're giving away an out. It's I, it's useless to me. I don't want to see basically someone who is just like if you took someone from the stands and let them come out. Not that may be exaggerating, but not much. That is still it's inexcusable that that's been the case. So I'm I'm taking it back that over time there were great there were pitchers who were pretty good hitters, um, Degrom being one of them. But again, the fact that you have all these guys playing sports and not all of them started as pitchers. And yet, you don't have anybody else who who's a serviceable enough hitter. I just think that's that's shocking. So, um, I have something for you here. So, I I'm a big. You brought up Stanton is he a Hall of Famer? So, I love coming up with people that are similar. Now, I have a player. He's retired, but and I won't get into the minutia of the numbers. But I'm going to give you some generalities. There, I don't really get war, but their wars are basically the same. Stanton's is slightly higher, slightly. The games are basically the same. Plate appearances, again, almost a dead heat. Hits within 40 of each other. Home runs, Stanton has a clear edge of uh, seventy of 65 home runs more. RBIs, about the same, about 1,000. The other player has 200-plus stolen bases to Stanton's 42. Their batting averages are 260 and 259. On-base percentage, slugging. OPS and OPS plus the OPS plus is tied. So the other numbers are all very close. So if you're, so that other person is Daryl Strawberry. So aside from the home runs, if you're going to tell me Stanton is, could be a a hall of famer because he hit more home runs. I, I think that is silly. What was the difference again with Strawberry and him with home runs? Well, Strawberry hit 335. Okay. So, you know, so there's definitely a, a, a power difference there, but and they're at, but their averages are the same. Their on base percentage actually strawberries is better. Their slugging percentage Stanton's a little higher. The OPS Stanton is like point two higher, and their OPSs are the same. So I'm thinking I don't think Daryl Strawberry is a Hall of Famer, but I if you ask me who I would have rather had. I kind of would rather have had Daryl Strawberry in my lineup when he was doing what he did than Stanton. Yeah, he had a really good run, and then he made a little comeback later in his career when the Yankees gave him a chance to. But he he had a gap during what would be considered his prime life where he was not there physically. Oh, no, he stopped. From 30 on, he was done. But from 29, from 21 to 29, his, he was great with the Mets. 
Yeah. He had a, he had one good year with LA, and then he he went in the tank, and he he had said the biggest mistake he ever made was going back to Los Angeles because that was where he grew up, and he just that's where he got into all kinds of trouble. But they're, they're they're very similar players, and you know Strawberry's numbers were he averaged thirty four home runs, one hundred and two RBIs, with two sixty. So I think over time a thirty four one hundred two guy was consideration for the Hall of Fame, but the batting average was the problem. I don't think hitting 500 home runs or 400 home runs and batting, you know, 260 is a Hall of Famer. Yeah, I had never even thought about Stanton as a Hall of Famer when they said that. Um, but then again, it's such a numbers-driven distinction sometimes. And that, that stat of or the analytics of war, it's still baffling to me. But uh, I see it as an exact. But it, always remember, I think one of the things I point out, I, I tell the audience, I have an analytics background and advanced degree in it as well. Um, but the biggest misnomer about analytics is that it's objective. It is not, it is as fallible and as tainted as the individual that made, that created the formula. It takes their biases into the formula. So unless you're auditing it repeatedly, it's not objective. I don't so, mean to be harsh, but isn't it, the, isn't it basically garbage in garbage out? Isn't that how some of that can be summed up? Yeah, you can, you said it early in the show, you can. You can make well. You, you use the the. Uh, we lost our our small women audience. Yeah, sorry. One, but, um, we'll get them back though. We'll get them back. We. Uh, I yeah, you can come to saying it was. I've heard it, so it's it, you know somebody else. Yeah, I didn't. I, <laughs> we uh, no. I think you, you can make numbers say whatever you want. I mean, we can manipulate them in any which way we want, and it's the reverse scientific method. They create a number, and then they work backwards to uh, work on the training to match that number and to prove it right, and then. And then they get the players to follow suit because they, they, they tag money to it. If you don't do this, you're not going to make the money. And they reward the ones that are doing it their way. Look at Kyle Schwarber. If you remember him, he was, he's, yeah. a, he's leading off for the Phillies. He was a Cub, uh, came out of college, wasn't, didn't look like he does now. He, I wouldn't say he was a specimen back then, but a little bit more muscular. And his build was a catcher, lefty hitter, 300, not a ton of power. Although he did come up like a just hit. I think he had like eight home runs in a row his first time up, but was a good uh, gap the gap guy, 300 hitter, low strikeouts, and uh, actually was a catcher. They moved him into the outfield first base. Now he doesn't even look like he looks comfortable, like in his own body. And he's a um, hitting under 200. He has more home runs than singles this year. And it's just huh. like, I mean, it's, it's a head scratcher. How you take a guy like that and convince him that this is the way to go? Well, if you pay him, he's yeah, going to do it. It's like uh, my children; they'll do what's tolerated. I mean, um, and again, to, not to beat a dead horse on this number of five hundred. I'm not saying you said it, but the response to those people should be: Well, Mike Schmidt hit five hundred and forty-eight home runs. So if if John Carlos Stanton hits five twenty-five, does that mean he's a Hall of Famer? Well, no. It's not the. It's not that Schmidt hit five hundred whatever. It's that he led the league in home runs, whatever it was, seven or eight times, six or seven times, led the league in RBIs was consistent through his career and fielded his position and, you know, was a, a feared batter. I mean, I, that those years are my – that's me – you know, his career, 72 to 89, was from me being a young baseball fan into young adulthood. And uh, he was a feared hitter almost his entire career. So there's a – that's a Hall of Famer. A John Carlos oh, yeah. Stanton is – and I'm not saying you said he was, but that, that should be the – the kind of response it shouldn't even be countenanced that someone would not get ridiculed for bringing him up as a whole being a hall of famer 
Yeah, I think it was done on the Yankee broadcast, if I remember. And yeah, I, I, I don't, it's so numbers driven. Schmidt, if you ask anybody in baseball, he's arguably the greatest third baseman of all time. And I think when I look at the Hall of Fame, some people just look at like that one number as an automatic. I tend to look at the whole thing, the defense, the, the winning, the, the offense, and then who, who, who they were. Basically, although you kind of did it too. Don't forget. I mean, he he was hitting. He hit those home runs in the. He was hitting you know third high thirties and forty in the seventies into the eighties. Oh so, yeah, that's when thirty was a lot. And uh, yeah, now it's uh, every utility guy hits thirty. You know, like like I said, Volpe is going to probably hit thirty this year. And he's a two twelve. You know, he was at the end of the lineup now hitting toward the middle. But um, yeah, he's well, done yet. He's not really. He's not. He's not even done maturing yet, and he's going to hit thirty home runs. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I'm with you on the Stanton thing. I I kind of balked when I heard that. That, that made me do a double take. So, well, we're pretty full show here today. Almost an hour. We kept you. Where do you want to leave the audience? What do we want to tease them with next week? And I usually do a pharmaceutical of the week. Are you going to hit that this week? Well, we're not, but we're going to talk about the coming nonsense with the masks again. Uh, being in New Jersey, it's been remarkably non-masked the last you know little bit and even with this early um phase of their they're trying to convince people to wear them again even though we know they don't work just everyone's got to be diligent and vigilant and and that means both taking care of themselves and not falling prey to the masses just because that's what people say. You have to kind of stand up for yourself because if you accept it with this nonsense and if you start to – people have started to accept it with their food and they've started to accept it with their – how they medicate themselves and how they treat themselves. They have to uh, they have to kind of gird themselves against this. And let's, let's just leave it at that. We're going to talk a little bit more about it next week. But this whole masking up and the COVID scare is coming back and people – should just go about their business and we're going to give you some some good tools in that in that effort when we do our show next week that sounds good and uh that's more reason to move down to south carolina we uh i reposted something from our governor the other day he bit pretty much said our government made a mistake the first time with that stuff a lot of misinformation disinformation and a lot of poor advice we didn't follow it last time we're not following it again this time and done conversation now he sounds like uh uh, Foghorn Lakehorn when he talks, so it's kind of hard to, I've to heard take him. It. Yeah, he uh, he he's no no uh, no BS. He just last time he went a little at the beginning, but said schools will not shut down, sports will not stop, we will not be following any of those crazy mandates, and everybody go live your life in South Carolina. So um, my wife said, hey, if anybody in the audience wants to move down here, they can give her a call at BRG. I won't put her number out here. I'll, maybe I'll I'll post it, but I'll I'll tag her in this. So if anybody's looking to move down here, they can reach out to her group and they can help them out. But, uh, but anyway, Sal, great show today. Again, uh, good luck with the game tonight. Um, Thanks. send me the streaming, I'll post it and, uh, great. Uh, we'll get some people listening. And you said there's no live interaction, but if we get the text of one of the play by play guys, we can text in some comments. Yeah. Maybe I'll, I'll throw that out there tonight. See what happens. Right. Well, I guess I could text you. I have yourself. So yeah. Could you could always me. bother me. Okay. I certainly will. I certainly will. Well, all right. Well, good deal. Um, well, great show today. We'll have you back next week on episode. This is episode 270. What did I say? 278 with uh, the hot corner of Coach Sal, Real Voices of the Game, 50,000 fans and growing. Thanks for getting us on iHeartRadio. We appreciate you so much. Give Sal five stars. Give him a great comment underneath and 
We will see you guys next week. Thanks, Sal. Thanks, Dave. See you next week.